You know what that means? Everything. Anglo thieves. Gettle's gone. Oh my god, you people have just failed me. Failed me utterly. Congratulations, Scotland. We have just gone full brigadier. That just explains so much of my childhood to me. Research purposes. It's super important. I hear an awful lot of judgment in your voice. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 40 of Anglo Fees, in which we discuss the unbearable whiteness of being two, Oscar Boogaloo. <laughs> I just came up with that. You should be really proud. Um, and we're talking about the award season thus far and what we think. I have thoughts. Kaylee has thoughts. Kaylee has many, many thoughts. Alina has thoughts, too. Mm. So, <laughs> hi, I'm Raiden. Hi, I'm Alina. And I'm Kaylee. And Kaylee hates Eddie Redmayne. As pass. we all should. Coming to you in this episode, I hate Eddie Redmayne reprised. Yep. Um, before, before we we get into all of that, though, it's been kind of a rough week. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's been a rough week, and uh, we lost David Bowie, who went out in the most David Bowie way imaginable by dropping an album, which everyone loved, and then passing away two days later. Which and the no album is basically his, yeah, I'm dying, by everyone. Yeah. It's really wonderful. Yeah. Um, so we were all kind of crushed about that for a lot of people it didn't even occur to them that David Bowie was human and thus mortal I didn't really think he was I thought he was just going to kind of be around forever yeah I mean I don't see any reason why he should have been mortal right right so that was that was not good and then two days later we all woke up to the news that Alan Rickman had also died. And no one knew he was sick. Which, I'm not disparaging his fam friends or family from keeping that information, because it's their information, and we're not entitled to it. But that was also very sad. So there have been a lot of tribute viewings of Galaxy Quest and Die Hard. And that's how my house is, has mourned. And I I went to see the big short last night, and the first preview was for Eye in the Sky, which he's in, and he came on the screen, and the entire theater just went, oh. It's going to be a rough in memoriam this year. It really, really is. The pictures of the caretakers at the Wizarding World of Harry Potter leaving a lily in front of the potions classroom door. Also in London at the King's Cross, people are leaving, like when they have the little platform nine and three quarters mm -hmm. thing, people are leaving lilies there. Yep. So, yeah, it's been a week. It's been that kind of week. But we can also, David Bowie also gave us one last gift, and that was that he shoved Ricky Gervais out of the news cycle completely. Thank you. And Sean Penn. <laughs> 
right? <laughs> Hotshot journalist Sean Penn. <laughs> Completely forgot about that. I feel like if the South Park guys were to write a joke about Sean Penn hunting down El Chapo to interview him for Rolling Stone, it would be exactly that article. Mm-hmm. It is so badly written. He's a wife beater and a bad writer. Who knew? Uh, but yeah, I mean, do you want to touch on the Golden Globes and hotshot, edgy, radical Ricky Gervais, who's going to say shocking things? I can't believe they let him say that for the third time hosting. How uh-huh. unpredictable. Right. I mean, it was somewhat approaching levels of performance art. Like, no, let's Shia LaBeouf level. No, yeah. Shia LaBeouf type of performance art. You know what oh, I mean? Oh, don't, don't give him that much credit. Like, <laughs> No, LaBeouf has more months. self-awareness than this. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think he was somewhat sincere and like, well, let's see what it takes to get me fired and or dragged off off the stage. I disagree. What bothered me was him on Twitter going, oh, were you offended? Oh, you're so offended. Aren't you offended? Oh my god, I offended you. And I'm like, no, you're just really unfunny. I mean, you're offensive as well, but you're just boring in the way that you do it. And it's not a shock because you keep getting invited back time you go to and the time same, again to do this. Right. Yeah. right, and you do the same old shit. The same old shit. I really wish he'd let go of the it doesn't mean anything, stop it part of the bit. Look, look, now you're just kind of being mean in a really, just, just shut up. Yeah. He yeah. has that in common with one of the big films of last year, but we'll get to that. <laughs> I mean, I'll be honest, I tuned out halfway through. I made it through the whole thing. My roommate gave up after about 30 seconds. I mean, there there were a couple of good moments, mostly by women of color. Uh, America Ferreira and uh, was it Eva, Eva Longoria. Longoria. See, I couldn't even remember which Eva it was. <laughs> no. <laughs> Giving their introduction of saying, hi, I'm America Ferreira, not Gina Rodriguez. <laughs> and I'm Eva Longoria, not Eva Mendes, and neither of us. And uh, Taraji P. Henson winning Best Actress in TV Drama was perfection. She handed out cookies to the crowd. <laughs> <laughs> and when they tried to play her off, she's like, mm-mm, mm-mm, nope. No, but mostly it was just sort of an awkward, unfunny dumpster fire. Yeah, the Golden Globes has always been kind of a joke in award circles and the industry in general because it's the Hollywood Foreign Press Association, which is a group of about 80 or 90 journalists, if that, and they decided we want to throw a big party and have celebrities come and have them make us feel important. So by sticking this awards ceremony before the Oscars, before the BAFTAs, before the SAGs and so on, they make it part of the narrative. Mm -hmm. So it makes them sound like this award actually has merit rather than let's get drunk and give out little gold statues, which is basically what it is. But they still manage to be more interesting and weirder than like the Oscars because these people are more susceptible to bribes, allegedly. Because mm. last year, comedy, uh, TV comedy went to Transparent, mm-hmm. the Amazon series. This year, it went to Mozart in the Jungle, another Amazon series, which basically no one has seen. So, what happened here was Amazon just either sent out a bunch of screeners or bought a lot of dinners. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or both. But it still ended up being more diverse than the things we're going to talk about. You know, Taraji oh, yeah. P. Henson and Gael Garcia Bernal and Oscar Oscar Isaac. Isaac. He's so pretty. <sighs> He's so pretty. So pretty. 
like even in their their nominations, at least there was some variety. So you see people like Idris Elba and Will Smith, and the fact that there's a comedy musical category opens it up in a more interesting way. Kind of their definition of comedy is interesting. The Martian, the Martian, or or we discussed this with my coworkers. Perhaps they consider it a musical. (laughs) (laughs) It is interspersed with some disco. On the Keep in mind, the Golden Globes consider any biopic of a musician a musical. That's true. Which, even if they're incredibly dark and depressing, as long as someone's singing in it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, but like the major winners were the ones where everyone was like, "Yeah, I could have told you that." So yeah, although that's surprising in that way. Weirdly, weirdly, and I can't believe I'm saying this. But this is this is true, that when Best Actor in a Drama came up, I was like, I'm suddenly pulling for Leo. I don't know what to do with this, but I kind of <laughs> hope he wins. And now I'm happy. This later, but this year's nominees for Best Actor are so dull and so yeah. quiet and so just painfully method actor, tortured white boy, actor, actor, capital A, crap. I'm like... Just give it to Leo for the love of God. Yeah. Even though I would argue he's not even the firstiest man in Hollywood who wants an Oscar. I would argue that's Bradley Cooper and Eddie Redmayne. But like the joke of, oh, Leo doesn't have an Oscar and he does all these baity roles. It's just been a self-perpetuating cycle for so long. We don't know how to handle it when he might actually win one. Right. Mm-hmm. And I hope he, if he does. doesn't win, he's just going he's gonna to have to do that face again. The mm-hmm. smile and the clap and the don't give up on life slow clap. Yeah. <laughs> so were there any winners at the Golden Globes you were really excited for? Brie Larson. I haven't seen Room yet. It is on my list. She was just so excited and cute and happy about it. Yeah, I mean, I haven't seen it either. Uh, it hasn't come out here yet. But I loved her in the United States of Tara, mm-hmm. which is a TV series she did on Showtime a few years ago. She was brilliant and she's kind of one of the the breakouts of the year yeah her and alicia vikander but that's because she's in about 28 movies yes i was delighted that ennio morricone won for score because that is literally the best thing about the hateful eight (laughs) that That is what i am hearing terrible i saw it yesterday i'm actually quite sad by how much i hated it because i took my dad because it's his birthday and he's a big Mm -hmm. tarantino fan so it was a nice father-daughter moment. I bought hot dogs and nachos. It was a beautiful time. And then we watched that film. And at the end of it, it was like, so what do you think? And my dad's like, it was all right. <laughs> and we just sort of walk around and going, it was awfully long, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he said the N-word a really lot, didn't he? Yeah. Like too much. Yeah. It wasn't very yeah. good, was it? Yeah, there were a couple, like the the best actress in a drama category. I looked at it and went... That is literally a no-lose category. I would be happy with any of those people winning. And that was Taraji, Katrina Bell from Outlander, Viola Davis from How to Get Away with Murder, Eva Green from Penny Dreadful, and Robin Wright from House of Cards. I would have been happy any way that went. And it's really nice when there's a category that's a literal no-lose. That doesn't happen very often, does it? It does not happen very often at all. I, I was kind of like that for the musical comedy TV actress award. I haven't seen Crazy Ex Girlfriend, but I love her "Fuck Me Ray Bradbury" video. So mm-hmm. I was 
glad to see an actual musical comedy get some attention. Right. And I love Jamie Lee Curtis, even though I will not watch Scream Queens based on principle. So I, yeah. I gave Scream Queens three minutes of my time and turned it off after the it second. It got renewed. Point. It got renewed? What, what does did Ryan, Ryan Murphy, Murphy have, have on Fox? <laughs> what does um, he have? Knowing him, I'm actually not sure I want to know. No, 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 definitely not. But what um, I do want is, have you seen Unreal on Lifetime? Yes. What I want is a season of that about the making of a Pepe High School musical comedy show run by a totalitarian arsehole. <laughs> and it's just Glee. Mm-hmm. And then there's like the Finlay Vale, Leah Michelle. Like, I am here for that. Someone write that. You heard it here, people. Also, Lady Gaga is an actress now. Yeah, Kirsten Dunst got robbed. She was amazing. Didn't she? I think season two of Fargo is better than season one, and it's not getting anywhere near that level of attention, which is mm-hmm. sad. Yeah. And season one was really good. Yeah, yeah. And uh, the best actor in a miniseries or television film was, like, the prettiest category. Or wasn't it? <laughs> and I was like oh Mark Rylance's eyebrows are gonna win this and then it was Oscar Isaac and I wish I could find somebody who would look at me the way that that Harrison Ford was gazing at him it was adorable (laughs) I love that the internet has collectively decided their new boyfriend is Oscar Isaac (laughs) yeah he's so pretty the Star Wars menage that is our new our new love yeah so, yeah, that was the Golden Globes. That was a thing that happened. Oh, did anyone else notice that Amy Schumer and Jennifer Lawrence were clearly auditioning to host it next year? Because they're so whacking offensive squad goals. Oh, fuck off, both of you. Yeah. Sorry, I, I have grown so sick of Jennifer Lawrence. If I have to hear her talk one more time about how David O. Russell is this great creative genius and she wants to be buried next to him this is sounding stockholm syndrome oh jennifer you're so much better than that you're so much better than that he's not never gonna stop casting her in roles that she is too young for ever until she's actually the age of those characters then she then he's gonna find like a new 19 year old and scream at her and throw things Mm -hmm. at her i mean for all of the Dawson casting of, you know, 28 years old at 16, playing a 35-year-old at 20 is even somehow weirder. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. Also, that movie's about a mob. <laughs> I will say, for one of the highlights of the ceremony, watch the look on Ridley Scott's face when David O'Russell goes in to give him a congratulations hug. He turns around, notices it's him, and his the look on his face is full on, oh, fuck off. <laughs> I will dig it up, because it is amazing. I missed that. That's pretty good. The thing that's weird about it is he, David O'Russell still has the lipstick on his cheek from Jennifer Lawrence, which is just... Uh-huh. Yeah, like, here's the thing. There are very few examples in Hollywood of... Actor-director collaborations where one or both of them are women. You know, you hear about the Leonardo DiCaprio's and the Scorsese's and things like that. 
Mm-hmm. It's always built on as this idea, that's what you should be aiming for, that kind of symbiotic relationship where you create art together. There are very few examples of a woman being involved in that. This is one of the few examples of that, and it's not good. Like, his work mm-hmm. is just fine. It's engineered mm-hmm. to win a, get nominated for awards, but, like, no one's going to watch American Hustle in five years' time and think, yeah, that's next Goodfellas. Yeah, but I think there is a better example of a actor director collaboration where one of them is a woman, and it's Melissa McCarthy and Paul Feig. Uh huh. Like every actress should have a director who adores them the way that he adores Melissa McCarthy yeah. and believes that she can do anything, because he doesn't stereotype her in the way that I think a lot of other comedies do. No, he doesn't. He's decided, you know what? She could be a leading lady action star. Let's just make Spy. And it works. And it's great. Yeah. And I wish everyone had that. I wish Jennifer Lawrence had someone like that because it's not David O'Russell. Also, the way David O'Russell talks about the Hunger Games as if it's just the worst blight on Jennifer Lawrence's career rather than her star-making moneymaker. Like, mate, you're not making her the the Gina Rollins to your John Cassavetes, so piss off. Mm-hmm. I have feelings on him too. Not Eddie Redmayne feelings, but feelings. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Why should she play, you know, young heroes when she could play middle-aged moms instead? Right. And it was so jarring in American Hustle how far too young she was for that role. Yeah. It was like watching a Saturday Night Live sketch. Yeah. And also for Bradley Cooper, I'm sorry, I find it creepy. Oh, they, they're trying to set them up as, like, the the Bogey and Bacall or the Cary Grant and Catherine Hepburn of their time. There's no chemistry there at all. Uh-huh. Like, I don't buy it for a second. The roles that she keeps getting cast in, she is too young. And there's not much to sort of chew on. I think if someone else had written them, maybe there would be the case. But in American Hustle, she's just the shrewish... The shrewish better idiot. An idiot. She's stupid and i haven't seen joy yet but the best review of it was the pajiba review mm-hmm. where it's it's basically referred to as mansplaining the movie yep david or russell seems embarrassed to be making a movie about a woman who invents a mop so he has to write it as like some hotshot gritty gangster drama where it's like yeah. no she made a mop just own that or you know stop screwing over the original screenwriter. What happened with Joy was the original script was written by Annie Mumolo, who was one of the co-writers on Bridesmaids. It was one of the Blacklist script. I think it was Blacklist, but it was certainly a very highly acclaimed script. It was considered very witty, very funny, very interesting tale of this woman that kind of embodies the American dream. Mm-hmm. David Russell signs on, entirely rewrites the script and strips her of a story credit, which is basically against um, Writers Guild rules. So she had to fight to get the story by credit. Mm Because he basically wanted all the credit for himself. But now it's only nominated for one Oscar, so (laughs) ha (laughs) ha ha. I think we should get on to the nominations for the Oscars. Yeah. Yeah. Where do you want to start? Let's let's just start with Best Picture. Okay. And work our way down. Go ahead. Okay, the nominees for Best Picture. There are eight this year of a possible ten. That seems to be the number they're kind of settling on now. Mm-hmm. So the nominees are The Big Short, Bridge of Spies, Brooklyn, Mad Max Fury Road, 
the Martian, the Revenant, Room, and Spotlight. Thoughts? Um, I have actually seen five of these, and I will eventually see the Revenant. I will be mad about it. I cannot work up the enthusiasm to go see it because I have the same reaction to all of Alejandro and Yaratu's films. Mm-hmm. They're beautifully made, often brilliantly acted, and I find them all excruciatingly unbearable to watch. Yeah. Like, I thought Birdman was garbage. It's beautifully shot, ingeniously shot, actually. Mm-hmm. The cast are great. Michael Keaton is wonderful. That script is garbage. Yeah. There's like this big rant that Emma Stone gives. It's supposed to be this big defining moment of a millennial. And it's just like, you don't tweet, you don't Facebook. And it's like, have you met a 20-something before? Is this supposed to be your big defining moment? Because it's really bad. I'm so annoyed that got script, Oscar. But Inyaru is a favourite. He's I think every film he's ever made has been Oscar nominated. Mm-hmm. And he won last year, obviously. Yeah. Script, director, and film. Yeah. So I... I honestly don't know if there is a front runner right now. I think, logically speaking, it's probably The Revenant, but I wouldn't discount Mad Max because it's got one hell of a campaign. Right. My thought when I saw the best pictures was actually I was really worried that Mad Max and The Martian would force each other out because the Academy would be like, well, we can only have one of these pop yeah, I thought that sci-fi too. movies. Mm-hmm. So I'm really glad that didn't happen. Yeah. Well, you see... Mad Max is drama and The Martian is comedy. Right. See? Right. Right. But the things that didn't get nominated here, there's no Carol, which is disgraceful. Yeah. There's no Inside Doubt. There's no Anomalisa. A bunch of other ones that were really pushed didn't make it in here. Joy didn't make it in here. There's no Mr. Holmes or Ian McKellen. Yeah. I look at this list and go, well, it's better than last year in that last year, none of those movies were about women. And in this one, three of them are. That is true. I'm kind of a little bit surprised to see Brooklyn because it's such a small movie, but it's so sweet and so well put together. I mean, this is this is a list of well put together movies. Like I said, I saw The Big Short last night and the first 10 minutes I was like, I've made a large mistake. This is a movie about the financial crisis and the meltdown and... Sure, I I guess I, and then at about the ten minute mark, they're like, okay, we know that in order to explain how this shit works, we have to bring the narrative to a screeching halt. So we're just going to steer into that. Here is Margot Robbie in a bathtub with a glass of champagne to explain to you how subprime mortgages work. Okay. Boom. Done. And she explains it in a way that I mean, it's it's both like winking at you she's at talking to you at the camera and it's winking saying yeah we know that this is pretty ridiculous but you get it now don't you and i i did which i really didn't before and then 45 minutes later they have to bring the narrative to a screeching halt again to explain something else which anthony bourdain explains to you using fish and it is so well edited and so like making this into a a dramedy filled kind of wacky thing and at the same time going yeah this all happened 
this is the stuff that actually happened. Here's a few things that we're tweaking for narrative purposes. But also, this is people's livelihood. This is going to destroy the economy. And these are the assholes who did it and got away with it. So it's not all wacky hijinks. This is real life. And look, it's starting to happen again right now. Banks just started doing this this bullshit that led everything in that started the snowball again last year. Yay. Yay regulation. The way that movie handles such issues makes a lot more sense when you realize that the director and writer is Adam McKay behind Funny or Die and Anchorman. Yeah. Which I didn't know. And it, like everything made more sense. Um, I really, really liked it. I really did. That's good. I I've heard mixed things. Um, I, a lot of people I know who saw it just found it insufferably bro-ish. Oh, it's totally a bro movie, but it... I, I mean, it's a bro-y subject. Finance, finances on Wall Street? Yeah. That's, like, as legit bro-y as you can get. <laughs> and it, it's not pretending like these bros are heroes, because nobody comes out smelling like any sort of hero except for maybe Steve Carell's character and he's his character is like I feel like shit because I just made a fuck ton of money betting against the US economy and no one will listen to us when we're trying to tell them what's going on so instead I made a bunch of money and I feel like an asshole so nobody comes out smelling like a hero I feel like that film fits a very specific role in the Best Picture nominees. You always need the quote-unquote issues movie. This has been the year of the issues movie. Yeah, but in the nominees, it's not necessarily reflected in that way. Spotlight definitely Spotlight fits is, that, but it's a the Martian is. movie. The Martian is. The Martian is absolutely a, a mes- message movie. Do you is think it's a- being viewed that way by the Academy for? I think a lot of that love for that movie is coming from, one, it's good, two, it made money, and three, it's Ridley Scott being good again. Yeah, but I I think that, that The Martian is a movie about science and optimism and problem solving and working together. I absolutely believe it is a message movie. It'll be interesting if it's seen that way. I think it's mostly going to be viewed in terms of awards purposes as Matt Damon thing. Mm. Watch as Matt Damon explains why this isn't racist to you. <laughs> But in terms of like the other nominees, you've got... I mean, you can make a case that Mad Max Fury Road is a political movie. I think it very much is. But it's there because of the technical ambition mm-hmm. of it, I think. Yeah. And also, there's just too much critical love behind it for them to ignore it without there being a fuss. Mm-hmm. But something like The Revenant. The Revenant is there because it was hard to make. Every interview you read for it, every review talks about how much it went over budget, how difficult it was to film in natural light, how Leonardo DiCaprio chewed on bison liver, I think it was. No, it was bear liver. And I mentioned that to my mom, who was a food science and nutrition professor, and she went, oh, you can get uh, liver poisoning from that, vitamin A poisoning. You shouldn't do that. But that just makes him more tortured. He's really fighting for it. 
And then she thought about it a minute and said, actually, I think that's just polar bear liver. I'm not sure if that counts for brown bear liver. <laughs> How do you know, Ufo? I'm glad that we know uh, that. But look on, yeah. the look on the bright side. Tom Hardy might get an Oscar for punching Inyeritu in the face. He won't, but he won't. there's always that we have in our hearts. Yep. <laughs> there is an alternate universe in which that is true. And we have a video of it. So I, I'm not calling a favourite in this category because I still think it's too early, but I am definitely afraid that the Revenant's going to pull out front just because the Academy loves that narrative of art is hard and torturous and masculine mm -hmm. and bears. Like, if, that, that, if Leonardo DiCaprio doesn't win that Oscar, a bear is going to pop out on stage and attack whoever does. Right. It might be Jonah Hill. We don't yeah, know. Yeah, I was about to say, what's a bear be Jonah Hill? <laughs> Can I remind us to the Golden Globes? What the hell was going on with Channing Tatum's hair? Oh, what is that? <laughs> I don't know. A fringe mullet mistake? Is it because he lost that singing show to his wife? Like, is that why? Did he lose a bet? I, I, I don't know. I don't think that Jenna would let him walk out of the house like that without a good reason. So he must be filming something now. I'll look it up. He's in the Hateful Eight, actually. I totally forgot he was in it until he appeared. He just <laughs> a movie. Oh, even the current picture, that's a terrible haircut. Yeah. He's doing Gambit, is that it? I doubt it. Please no. We've waited so long. We that cannot be Gambit. That cannot be Gambit. Right. We'll, we'll, we'll yesterday, my someone my roommate follows on Twitter asked, "Who would you rather see in bed, Gambit or Cyclops?" And both my roommate and I went, "Well, Cyclops is definitely a crier." <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong, right? Oh, speaking of Shining Tatum, I know I've derailed this, but I'm derailing us further. Hail Caesar, that's a movie I'm looking forward to. Oh, definitely. Thanks. Definitely. And I keep on forgetting he's in it, and then I'll see a trailer. It's like, oh, that's right, he's in it in a sailor uniform. This is going to be so good. He's yeah. basically Gene Kelly, <laughs> which makes it even better. Yeah. There are a bunch of movies coming out soon that I'm looking forward to. That's one of them. Uh, Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, I'm smuggling booze into the theater. I'm very on the fence because I tried the book and I couldn't get through the first like two chapters. Yeah. Yeah. But a lot of the times these kind of good ideas, bad execution leads to a better adaptation that, you know, took advantage of the idea. So maybe. Maybe. We'll see. I don't know. I need booze. I know I need booze. Because there was some blurb that said that it, it gives Jane Austen a much-needed feminist bent. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's the thing somebody said. I think a yep. sentence just caused me physical pain. Yep. That's the thing that happened. Anyway. Who do you think is going to take Best Actress? Do you think it could be Kate Blanchett? Um, I, I'm seeing Brie Larson. I'm thinking Brie Larson, too. Because I'm thinking it's between the two of them. I really think it's between Kate Blanchett and Brie Larson because despite the Golden Globe, I really can't see it with that field going to Jennifer Lawrence. Here's no. the thing about 
Brie Larson. Room is nominated for Best Picture and Best Director. Carol is not, and neither is Joy. She's winning. Mm-hmm. That that doesn't matter. Although, I mean, Brooklyn's nominated for Best Picture as well, but I don't know if there's quite the drive behind Saoirse Ronan. I think Larson's role here is seen as a star-making performance, and they yeah. like the narrative, which was, you know, Jennifer Lawrence and Silver Lane's playbook. Yeah. I agree. Um, I think Saoirse... How are we? I don't know. Saoirse. Saoirse. Um, Saoirse was was really amazing in Brooklyn. So was Kate. So, and I haven't seen Room yet, but I would put my money on Brie Larson. Yeah, the other nomination is Charlotte Rampling in 45 years. Charlotte Rampling has never been nominated before. So I feel like this is their token person older than 35. Mm-hmm. Although it was Kate Blanchett. But part of that that kind of narrative that so easily could have gone to Maggie Smith for Lady in the Van because they love Maggie Smith. Yeah. That's what you all do. I haven't even heard of this movie. Like, I, I'll be honest. No, neither years. had I. Yeah. It was the big award winner at the Edinburgh Film Festival last year. It's directed by Andrew Haig, who made a wonderful movie called Weekend. And I believe he worked on the HBO series Looking. But it's about this elderly couple played by Rampling and Tom Courtney who are about to celebrate their 45th wedding anniversary. And then he gets a letter informing him they've found the body of his first love who died before he married Charlotte Rampling. And then it's one of those tiny character pieces where everything slowly unravels in a very quiet but dramatic manner. It's that kind of indie film. But the Mm -hmm. reviews are outstanding, especially for her. So I think Mm -hmm. her nomination was kind of the surprise. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm glad to see it there because I think Charlotte Rampling is amazing. Yeah. The one that confuses me, honestly, is Jennifer Lawrence. I know that they love her and it's amazing that she has four Oscar nominations and a win by the age of 25. Wow, I feel useless in comparison. But this is the only nomination Joy got. And even the most kind reviews of that film are saying she's fine, but she's too young. Mm-hmm. Is this a nomination for the performance or is it just for her? I don't know. Yeah, I don't think we can really say that for sure. But, mm-hmm. I mean, she won the Golden Globe as well. But, you know, it was the Golden Globes. That's really not that hard to win in comparison to the Oscars. I don't think she'll win here. There's not. There's no passion for that film. Mm-hmm. And the idea, the image of... David O. Russell waking up at half five in the morning to watch the nominations. <laughs> it's hilarious until you remember there was probably an assistant in that room who got a chair thrown at her head. Yep. So yeah, I think Brie Larson's winning because I think the, the narrative is with her. Mm-hmm. She's young, she's beautiful, she has a massive star-making role and she's campaigning hard for it. Like, the moment her nominations came in, I think she was on the phone to CBS this morning saying, oh, I just heard. I didn't watch it. I was in bed. And I was like, no, you were watching. <laughs> None of you were in bed. Mm-hmm. I would love someone to actually admit, yeah, I woke up at, like, three in the morning and prepared myself for it. None mm-hmm. of this sort of spontaneous, oh, what a shock and surprise. I didn't even know the nominations were today. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think she'll win. For best actor, there is Brian Cranston for Trumbo, Matt Damon for The Martian, Leonardo DiCaprio for The Revenant, Michael Fassbender for Steve Jobs, and Eddie Red Carpet for The Danish Girl. 
Amongst awards discussion circles, Redmayne's nickname is Eddie Red Carpet for mm-hmm. obvious reasons. Yep. Can we just say how boring this category is? It really is. Brian Cranston, for God's sake. Do you know why he got that nomination? Because I feel like a lot of those 69-year-old white dudes were like, hey, my kids bought me this Breaking Bad box set. I just finished watching it. It's actually really good. Who is this guy? Oh, he's got a film out this year. Let's sign him in. Hmm. No offense to Brian Cranston, but the reviews for that film were not good. But Hollywood does like stories of Hollywood being the best thing ever and saving us all. Hurrah for Hollywood. So writing about Dalton Trumbo will do that. So if we consider Leo the frontrunner, who do you think can be the upset? Just based purely on campaigning prowess, it would be Redmayne. I feel like Fassbender's name is coming up in a lot of the discussions. Yeah. On whether he wants it, whether versus like the movie, the producers are pushing and. Oh, he wants it. I mean, this is a firsty, firsty year, you know, of people mm-hmm. who mm-hmm. want this award. I wouldn't put it past Damon, but possibly be a second place kind of also ran there because he's very popular in the industry. The movie made a lot of money. People like Ridley Scott again. But I think this is one of those years where people aren't even bothering to run mm-hmm. because they've just assumed DiCaprio's going to get it. And do you want to be the person that campaigns hard against Leonardo DiCaprio? Mm-hmm. It really Unless going you're to the picking all the other puppies, but not that one puppy that's been there for years. Yeah. Leo is the puppy. But I have no enthusiasm for this category at all. I was considering whether or not I think, you know, the Marsh Matt Damon and the Martianists did the kind of work that I think would, like, if this were a merit-based award would be worth it. And I mean, I have, in a lot of the act, most of his acting in that movie is done on kind of an empty stage, right? He doesn't have people to act against. And then I just get upset because I think uh, Robert Downey Jr. was robbed for the first Iron Man. <laughs> and the third one. He had to do a lot of acting against props and made us care about them. And that's not the kind of acting Oscars appreciate, but really they should learn to. Mm. It's also a genre piece. And the Academy doesn't think anything outside of dramas and biopics exists. So there is that. But I've got so little enthusiasm for these people. It's another case of five white guys, four of whom are playing actual real-life figures one of whom is a man in drag playing trans. Mm-hmm. And particularly in a year where an actual film starring actual trans people, which was better reviewed than The Danish Girl and actually launched a campaign for awards consideration, was that was out there. There was no excuse for them to bypass that beyond just not wanting to. Mm-hmm. So we get another case of a man in a dress going around talking about how, oh, yeah, now I know I know how hard trans people actually have. I put on that dress and all of a sudden people treated me differently. Oh, wow. It was such a, you know, it blew my tiny little male mind. And honestly, I, I mean, I don't like Eddie Redmayne. I've pointed this out before. I think he's overrated. I think he's a creep. I am so sick of posh English cishet white boys being held up as the standard for British culture. Mm-hmm. And he was really first a campaigner. I mean, people get Leo, but this guy was miles ahead. And watching the way that the Danish girl, despite not being that well reviewed, has been held up instantly as an awards contender simply because the subject matter 
and simply because the idea of a man playing a trans woman is more performative and worthy of attention than a trans woman actually leading her life is is grossly offensive to me. Mm-hmm. And also, um, a friend of mine went to see the film and said, yeah, it's basically Glenn or Glenda, the Edward movie about cross-dressers. It says Lily Elby is played like a demented cross-dresser. Mm-hmm. Like every scene is basically Eddie Redmayne like caressing a dress and looking like he's coming in his pants as a result. Mm-hmm. So it's the deliberate appropriation of history, the retelling of it in a way that strips it of all of its rough edges, all of its radical details, and turns it into something that is palatable and dull and tasteless, but easy to consume for cisgender people. Because mm-hmm. the real Lily Elby was not like this. The real Gerta Herder, who was, Gerta Wegner, I should say, her wife, was also, you know, a very radical person in that society. She was the artist of a lot of very graphic, detailed lesbian art. She wouldn't, she was not the the woman who sort of sat on the sidelines crying about the loss of her husband and screaming, I want my husband back, like they do in the film. Mm -hmm. And then the film actually is more about her from what I've been told, than it is about Lily Elby, because we can't even tell trans stories through the point of view of a trans person. It has to be the cisgender person on the sidelines talking about what, you know, what, I've really what learned this means. a lot about the experience yeah. of humanity through this person's suffering. Also, the film lies about how she died. The real Lily Elby died from complications from an ovary transplant. It was something that had never been tried before. It's never really been tried since. Uh, they didn't know a lot about transplant surgery at the time. That was what killed her. In the film, what kills her is getting a vaginoplasty. Mm-hmm. So think about what that says there. Yeah. That one tiny detail about her life that they have twisted. It grosses me out that people aren't getting more angry and informed about this. I thought we were turning a curve when we all realized that Roland Emmerich's Stonewall movie was garbage. Apparently mm-hmm. we have, and that's really sad to me. So yeah, fuck Eddie Redmayne. Okay, let me ask you guys something. Have mm-hmm. either of you seen Creed? No, no I haven't yet. come out here yet. I, I'll be honest, I haven't yet either, and although for me, like, the Rocky movies aren't, don't carry quite that nostalgia for me, but I, I've heard a lot of really really good things about it like people are really excited about it and then seem to really like it and it makes me wonder if maybe if it could come out earlier in the year it would have gained enough momentum for there to be more than just Sylvester Stallone as the nostalgia name on the ballads I I think what happened there is a couple of things one it was released by Universal who also released Black Mass and they put Mm -hmm. way more time and effort and money behind Black Mass which I really liked but it's just disappeared. It was never part of the conversation by Globe's time. Which is too bad, because Joel Egerton was the person in that movie who deserved Wasn't a nominee. He? he was brilliant. He is yes. the perfect toadying little asshole in that. Yeah. But I think a lot of them... Creed was not expected to be as critically or commercially successful as it was. But they didn't even hop on that when that happened. Like The moment yeah. those reviews got as good as they did, they should have took the money, took the time, and decided... Let's get these people out there and really show them what we have. Because it's not like the Rocky series has been snubbed before. I mean, it's it was Best Picture winner when it mm. came out. 
and also racism. I feel like that that played a big part. Yeah, I mean, it's been a weird year in terms of timing. Mad Max came out in May. The Martian came out in October. Bridge of Spies was Thanksgiving. Spotlight came out in October. And then the rest of the Best Picture nominees all came out in the traditional kind of December area. But like two years ago, 12 Years a Slave came out in October. And a lot of front runners have been sort of coming out in October and early November. So sort of the timing of when a movie comes out and does really well on the awards circuit has been changing, I think. And there were a number of movies that were trying to take advantage of that kind of thing. Black Mass was one. I really thought The Walk about Philippe Petit's High Wire Act between the Twin Towers was going to be part of the conversation because that had Robert Zemeckis really wants another Oscar written all over it. <laughs> all over it. And nothing. Not a thing. What was interesting to me this year was even Harvey Weinstein has talked about how he laments the way that awards prestige films are released, which is in this very narrow gap between potentially late October, but usually Thanksgiving to New Year's. Yep. And even then it's often just LA, New York. Mm-hmm. and how that's really kind of damaging the system. When it's coming from the guy who helped pioneer that system, I think that says a lot. And it's also, it bit Harvey Weinstein in the arse this year because Carol and the Hateful Eight were, you know, nowhere near as prominent as they, sh- well, as prominent as Carol should have been. Hateful oh, Eight was rightfully snubbed in big categories. Mm-hmm. But from considering last year he pulled the bullshit honor the man honor the film act with the imitation game and it worked the fact that he didn't even try something similar with carol about you know honor the lgbt rights movement by honoring this film is really surprising to me he's been remarkably defeatist because the big hoopla with the hateful eight in the uk cineworld who are the biggest chain of cinemas in the uk are not showing the film because of a dispute with the Weinstein Company. Hmm. Because I think they were trying to pull, you know, all of the cinema showing it the way that he wants it to be shown, which is the, the roadshow style of the intermission. Mm-hmm. And they just said no. And I don't think the other cinemas were really that bothered about the film. When I saw it yesterday, there was me, my dad, and about eight other people. Star Wars is still packing them in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's affected a lot of the, the Oscar-y films this year. I don't think they thought Star Wars was going to be as successful as it was, which, in hindsight, is just daft. In hindsight, it is it is crazy, but also, like, there were a lot of people who were like, um, I've been hurt before. <laughs> so, I don't know how I feel about this. I mean, I walked into Star Wars going, all I need from you, I need one thing, I need you to be better than Attack of the Clones. If you're that, then I'm happy. Yeah, I was going to be happy if it was like, I just want a free star fun action film. Yep. If it's more than that, great. Well, I have set my expectations reasonably. Yes. Oh, while we were on the Star Wars tiny tangent, but I read the article recently about the actor who played Georgia Banks. Uh It's heartbreaking. Oh. It's so sad. 
Yeah, those prequels ruined a lot of careers. A lot. The, the only reason Natalie Portman still had one is because she had something to fall back on and directors who were willing to say, no, 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 please don't hold that against her. Ian McGregor's doing all right. He's doing all right. Let me bring another one up. Beasts of No Nation. I was wondering, <sighs> do we think that's a snub against Netflix? Not necessarily, because two of the director features nominees this year are Netflix documentaries. I think it's partly that kind of fear, that technology, because the average Oscar voter is a 69-year-old white dude. But there's no white saviour in that movie. Mm -hmm. There's no white saviour in Straight Outta Compton, really. I guess you could count Rocky Balboa as the white saviour of Creed if you wanted to. Well, I think the the Academy does because Sylvester Stallone has the only nomination. Mm-hmm. And the only nominees for Straight Outta Compton are the scriptwriters. All four right. of them are white. Yep. Yeah. That feels like um, one film critic on Twitter described it as being like a, a thief that wants to get caught. Yeah. This is the second year in a row all 20 <laughs> acting nominees are white. Mm-hmm. All of them. Yeah. So, I mean, we always talk about Oscars and snubs. Snubs suggest that there's a an active malicious force at play that gets together and says, we're not going to nominate this film, and they all sort of laugh evilly. That, that's not how it works. But as this is second year in a row of all of these white actors, you can't help but feel like there is an active pushback against any kind of progressive change. Mm -hmm. The backlash was so loud last year with, you know, hashtag Oscar so white. Mm -hmm. There's no way they didn't hear about that. There's no way they haven't heard the continuing conversation this year about, you know, the lack of women directors in Hollywood or the pushback that people like Colin Trevorrow got. Mm Mm-hmm. This conversation is too loud for them to ignore. Even you know, Amy Pascal and the the Sony leaks and things like that. With the leaks that showed Amy Adams and Jennifer Lawrence were getting paid less for American Hustle than Jeremy Renner. Right. Mm-hmm. So all this is going on. You have people like Ava DuVernay getting out in public and talking about the issue. You have Ryan Coogler making a splash of Creed. You have Straight Outta Compton. You have what's going on in television. You have all of this circling around. And consistently, they seem to treat the only person of colour in Hollywood as Alejandro Iñárritu. Yep. And that that feels deliberate. It's hard not to see that as an active fuck you. Mm -hmm. Even if it's, you know, all just coincidence and you put in all of this bullshit you keep hearing about how the Oscars are merit-based, they've never been merit-based. No, they're not. Dr. Doolittle got nominated for Best Picture. Do you know how it got that nomination? No joke, the producers basically bought dinner and champagne for every voter. This is nothing new. The campaigning is part of it. And there wasn't a big campaign behind Creed. But I don't think that's an excuse. Mm -hmm. Just like I don't think it's an excuse to ignore something like Tangerine, because that did have a campaign behind it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, you know, but if you reward something like Tangerine, then you're going to let everybody know that any idiot with an iPhone can make a movie, and we can't have that. We can't oh, no, have that. No, but if that. it's not shot you know, with natural light in the middle of the, <clears throat> the Rocky Mountains while you're eating bear liver, then it's not real art. Right. 
I'm going to try to dig up this tweet, but I did see a tweet that was calling out the entire kind of movie media machine because it called out the magazine saying that, you know, you're in a Roboros, you're snake eating its own tail because first the magazines publish, oh, these are the front runners and they're all white. And then the Oscar nominations come out and they're all white. And then the magazines write, well, why are the nominations all white? Right. Well, why didn't you recommend any alternatives? Yeah, the Hollywood Reporter are notorious for that. And they knew that was going to happen because they had their Why All of Our Actress Roundtable is Quite This Year article prepared. Mm-hmm. But, you know, media has the power to challenge our you know, narratives. And you're seeing a lot of bloggers and a lot of tweeters doing that. You're not seeing Hollywood Reporter or Variety, the main, you know, magazines of that industry doing that. Because they make, it's too good a deal for them to just go along with the system Mm -hmm. it benefits them more to not challenge it because maybe it gives them more access or more money or whatever but would it really have been that much of a hassle to put Idris Elba or Maya Taylor or Michael B. Jordan or Tessa Thompson on a magazine cover it wouldn't have been but then they would have had to acknowledge that there is a problem because one of them would have talked about it Mm -hmm. whereas all they wanted was a group of men and women sitting around a table kissing each other's backsides and the thing is their predictions weren't even that accurate as to what was going to get nominated like their director's round table the only one that got nominated was Inyaratu. Mm-hmm. they had people they had all the usual suspects like Ridley Scott and Quentin Tarantino and things like that and they didn't make it mm-hmm so it it feels lazy, but it also feels malicious in a way, and it's hard to write that off. But every year you hear the same argument, which is, these awards don't mean anything, they're not based on merit, we shouldn't put so much power in them. And I get that. And no, it's not a merit of power. It's not a, a sign of instant merit. You know, Hitchcock never won Best Director, but that doesn't make him a worse director than Tom Hooper. Mm-hmm. We all know these things. Bradley Cooper is not a better actor than Alan Rickman just because he had three nominations and Alan Rickman had zero. Mm-hmm. You know, these things are not true. And we, everyone knows that they're not true. But what the Oscars do, and do very effectively, is act as a mirror to the narrow definitions and boundaries of the system. Mm-hmm. The Oscars are white because Hollywood is white. The Oscars are male because Hollywood is male. And they like it that way. So it's important to challenge those institutions of power. It's important to call out the messes when you see them. And it's important to kind of ignore the people who just roll their eyes and say, oh, why are you so invested in this? I'm invested in it because it's our culture. It's our media. It's a reflection of the way that we all live our lives. Yep. And we're the ones, particularly women, particularly people of color, we're the ones that spend money at these films. We're the ones that buy all the comic books, we buy video games, we buy the books. We're kind of kingmakers in this front, but that power is seldom reflected back to us. It's mm-hmm. seen as soft power. It's seen as kind of, well, yeah, that's nice for you. You know, that's nice for a woman's story. That's nice for a romance. That's nice for a rom-com, that kind of thing. So unless it's, you know four white guys in furs beating the shit out of a bear, it's not seen as a universal story. This is the same mm-hmm. argument we have every single time, which is 
women make movies for women, people of color make movies for people of color, white men make movies for everyone. Mm-hmm. Yep. And if the movies for everyone are The Revenant, um, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with just not watching that. Mm-hmm. But th- I mean, that's one of the good things about Mad Max. It serves as the perfect reminder that actually men can relate to women's stories. Mm-hmm. Just try giving a shit. George Miller gave a shit and look what happened. And I'm delighted that he's nominated. Yeah. I'm, I've finished my round. <laughs> well, I actually do have a category I do want us to talk about to move us along, and that's the best adapted screenplay. Mm-hmm. Because I do think there have been, you know, this year some very strong adaptations, and the nominees, I think, you know, show that strength. So I think that's an interesting category. The nominees are The Big Short, Brooklyn, Carol, The Martian, and Room. Mm-hmm. I would honestly be happy with any of those winning. The Fresh Air did an interview with Phyllis Nagy. I think I said her last name right. I don't know. Who did the screenplay for Carol. And she she knew Patricia Highsmith. And oh, um, yeah. <laughs> who's the novelist for that? Who's the novel? Who, who's the one who wrote The Price of Salt? Um, for anyone who is still maybe on the fence of seeing Carol... Let me assure you that it has a relatively happy ending and nobody ends up dead at the end. No one gets punished for being a lesbian. It's actually, I, I think, the sole example of that era of lesbian pulp fiction where that happens. Yeah. Because most of these lesbian pulps of that time, it was scary, sexy, butch lesbian seduces the poor, innocent, straight femme, perhaps slightly unwillingly, and then a man has to come and sort it out. Usually by killing them, but suicide is also an option. Right. Um, which is why when I reviewed Carol on Smart Bitches, I was like, no, I'm just going to tell you straight up. This has a happy ending. Nobody ends up dead. And multiple people said, oh, I'm going to go see it now. Because I was afraid of that. <laughs> but spoilers are the worst thing ever, and they ruin films oh. for everyone. Oh, shut up. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Say, something to point out about the screenplay nominations this year, both adapted and original. There are 20 nominated people spread across 10 nominated films in two categories, adapted and original. Four of them are women. Mm-hmm. That is up from zero last year. Yep. But only one of those is a person of colour, which is Ronnie Del Carmen, who's one of the writers of Inside Out. Mm-hmm. I thought the Martian adaptation did a really good job of sort of distilling the book down and pulling the techno babble out and making it accessible and visual as opposed to just being all in in uh, Mark's head. See, I've, I've read the book and I really, really liked it a lot, but I actually liked what the movie did with some of the... Um, the book is funny. The voice it's written in is funny, but some of the comedy is a little bit like college bro mm-hmm. comedy. Like, look, boobs, you know, like that moment. And I think the movie did really well taking that out, but replacing it with moments that were still really funny. <laughs> yeah, and um, Nick Hornby, who did the the screenplay for Brooklyn, also did the screenplay for Wild. So, I would be happy. This is one of those no-lose. No I'd lose like categories. to see Good Carol, because that screenplay is beautifully yeah. constructed. So much is yeah. left unsaid, but it, you hear everything. Yeah. And that oh, movie's no. just wonderful, and it should have been nominated for everything. 
yeah, it was, I think, one of the best put together movies of the year. It was as well constructed as Mad Max in a completely different way. Agreed. I kind of feel like of the of the screenplays of the original, the only one. Well, I haven't seen some of these movies, but the one that stands out to me is maybe I wouldn't have put it on there is Ex Machina in the original category. Because I, I have seen that movie and I love I love Alex Garland's work, but I wouldn't necessarily think that like the story ideas this one is maybe not like you know the the is the robot evil or is the android human like it's not the most original idea like I don't I it's not like I'm saying it's not worth making it's that you know he had his own view in it and he wanted to explore it and it's a beautiful movie I'm just not sure that the originality of it merits a nomination mm-hmm. I haven't seen that one because I'm a terrible person I haven't seen it either, but I think people were just so damn charmed by Donald Gleason that he had to get all of his films nominated this year. No this kidding! Is he's one of the films of 2015 have Donald Gleason in them, and they're four? all nominated for Oscars. Yeah. yeah. Brooklyn, Ex Machina, The Revenant, and Star Wars. Oh, Star Wars got technical nominations, didn't I? I was like, that's not Did, yeah. And John Williams for score, because obviously. Yeah. Having said I, that, I, I want Ennio Morricone to win it. Because mm-hmm. that music in the Hatefully is so good that there are moments where you think this movie's not that bad. It is. <laughs> okay, can I talk about why the Hatefully is so bad? Uh, yeah. Okay, so I like Quentin Tarantino. I love Inglorious Bastards. I think that's a straight up masterpiece of a film. And my dad is a big Tarantino film, so this was a a nice thing for me to take him to see. This is our bonding moment because I always go to see Tarantino films with him. And I, I like the the central idea, which is a group of outlaws and terrible people have like an Agatha Christie moment in a, in one room together. You know, one of them is helping out the Jennifer Jason Lee character to help her escape. You have to figure out which one. That's interesting. This film is ugly. Not visually, it's beautifully shot. But it's so incredibly soulless and mean and seems to take delight in wanting to mock you and offend you in the way that like Ricky Gervais was doing with the Golden Globes. You know the way that like South Park keeps going on about political correctness gone mad? Mm -hmm. It was like that. So you have all these amazing actors like Samuel L. Jackson and Jennifer Jason Leigh, Kurt Russell, Walton Goggins, Channing Tatum, Bruce Dern, Tim Roth, all these great actors, right? And they're here in service of a script that seems almost single-mindedly obsessed with brutalizing the one woman. Like, the whole point of the movie is, oh, but they're all terrible people. But nobody laughs when any of the men get punched. They all laugh when Jennifer Jason Lee gets, like, elbowed in the face. And she gets punched in the face a lot. Like, she loses teeth with levels of face punching. Mm-hmm. And there's just times where you're watching it and you're bored, but you're really depressed at the same time. Because there's all this great craftsmanship behind it. You know, the cinematography is beautiful. The music is beautiful. The acting is great. And all of it is just for this bad script that's an hour too long, has the N-word, like, every five or six words, features 
gleeful laughing over rape and focuses almost fetishistically on the brutality that one woman receives because she doesn't she's not a good person but she doesn't seem to do anything terrible enough to warrant that treatment Mm -hmm. the basic message of that movie is isn't it nice that the north and south of america in the post-civil war can unite and put aside their differences in order to hang a woman and it was just by the end of that film three fucking hours of my life i was just sad it in like an eye-rolling way it wasn't in a deeply profound manner mm-hmm. there's actually a great review of the movie by um, Matt Zoller sites from rogerebert.com where he talks about the way that the film uses the n-word and he uses it in a way that it's like white boys talking about rap music but I'll quote the paragraph because it made me laugh in the end, The Hateful Eight is less reminiscent of any single Western than of a certain episode of Seinfeld, the one where Brian Cranston plays a Gentile dentist who makes Jewish jokes but insists it's okay because he's converted. I have a suspicion, Seinfeld says, that he's converted to Judaism just for the jokes. And it's like that. I mean, I don't know why Samuel Jackson <laughs> keeps letting him get away with it. He's great in the movie, but his role is really racist. And I was sad that this film was just so incredibly bad, but it doesn't seem to be doing that well at the box office. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering if there has been that kick-on effect. But the thing is, the people who like this movie are going to respond in the same way, which is, oh, you're being so PC, or you're a social justice warrior, all these things. And it's like, no, I like Tarantino films. I love Inglorious Bastards. I'll even mount a defense of Django Unchained. This is a bad movie. And it's depressingly ugly. It's mean. It's it's a bully's movie. And I've never put Tarantino for a bully. I've put him for a fanboy. I've put him for a self-indulgent, you know, nerd. But he used to be able to keep that restrained and keep a consistency of tone with it. There's nothing right. like that here. And it's sad that this is what Jennifer Jason Lee gets her first Oscar nomination for. She's one of the best actresses currently working. And all she does in this film is spout the N-word and get punched in the face. Oh, and Damien Bashir is in it, the wonderful Mexican actor, and he's putting on a Mexican accent that I don't think any Mexican ever speaks like. It's like Speedy Gonzalez, mm. and I feel like that's what Tarantino told him Mexican people sound like, even though this guy is actually from Mexico. So yeah, don't go see Hateful Eight, seriously. It's a waste of your fucking time. <laughs> but the music's good. Because it's Ennio Morricone, of course it's good. Yeah. Amy was uh, nominated for Best Documentary. Are you happy about that? I'm delighted. I I think it might win, actually. But it's up against The Look of Silence, which is the companion piece to The Act of Killing, mm-hmm. which um, was a phenomenal documentary about the massacres in, in Indonesia. It was this really weird, hallucinogenic documentary. And it didn't win Best Documentary because it went to 20 Feet from Stardom instead, which was a more a more palatable piece about celebrity and it has a kind of uplifting ending. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if The Look of Silence will get overlooked because of that. But there's nothing uplifting about Amy. It's a beautiful film, but it's a really depressing one. Right. One of my favourite films of the year. I thought it was beautiful, but I watched it recently again because they showed it on TV here. And it is hard to sit through Amy Winehouse 
watching Amy Winehouse become sicker and thinner and more clearly struggling. Mm-hmm. Do we think Inside Out has the lock on anime? Oh, yeah. Future? Yeah. I haven't even oh, heard yeah. of the rest of these movies. Sean the Sheep! I don't know if it even came out here. Did it? They've well, got some sort of festival screening. Mm. I... I, I wouldn't write out Anomalisa. It's Charlie Kaufman. It's a very adult piece. It's got puppet sex in it. But it's not making any money. Inside Out made a shit ton of money. Yeah. And that does make it say. And also Pixar. Like, even bad Pixar films win this category, so. I would say when Marnie was there would have a chance uh, at the Oscar just for being the last Studio Ghibli film. But I don't think I, it will. But then uh, I remembered the the um, that interview, you know, the anonymous interview with the uh, voters, and they were like, "I don't go for that Japanese cap," and th- what they weren't even talking about, or Chinese cap, or whatever. They weren't even talking about the right movies, and I was like, "Yeah, no." Yeah, I don't think they're even going to watch screeners for it. I feel like they're just going to click the one that they know, and the only one out of those five nominees that they're instantly going to know is Inside Out. Mm-hmm. Which isn't a bad thing. It's a great film. It's a really wonderful film. But it's it's just a shame that this category s- seems to be on complete lockdown in favour of CGI. Because mm-hmm. one of the things that was really great about the past couple of years of nominees, you really saw a wide variety of animation. So last year you had things like The Box Trolls and... Big Hero 6 and The Tale of the Princess Kaguya um, Song of the Sea which is beautiful 2D a good a good variety of them there the winner was kind of predictable but at least there was a representation there I'm just looking is any non-CGI won it? Spirited Away won mm-hmm. and Wallace and Gromit the movie won but everything else is CGI but mostly Pixar yeah the animated short category is really interesting. Um, Sanjay Super Team, which is Pixar, it's the first of their films with a an Indian lead character. Mm-hmm. It was shown before the Good Dinosaur, which nobody saw. So that which might, nobody it, saw, but everybody who saw it was like, eh, "Good Dinosaur is okay." Sanjay Super Team was amazing. Yeah. <laughs> so I would love to see that one because hey, it would be a non-white mm-hmm. winner, and also that animation's beautiful. It's so cute. Um, but Prologue is directed by Richard Williams, who did the animation for Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Oh. And also The Thief and the Cobbler, which has one of the most sort of infamously tragic backstories behind it. Mm-hmm. He basically made this incredibly detailed film called The Thief and the Cobbler in his garage for like 25 years. And in the final few months, it was taken off him by Miramax, recut and cobbled together into something that was a total flop and basically destroyed Richard Williams and he said he'd never work again. But the film has now been... There's an edition of the film called The Recobbled Cut, which is a group of fans who basically tried to piece together what the film actually would have been like if Richard Williams had got to finish it. Mm -hmm. And it's really fascinating to watch. There's no story to speak of, but it's... Stunning and hypnotic and detailed and all hand drawn. So check it out for that if you got. I think it's on YouTube actually. So I'm glad that he's nominated for for this category because it's a nice reminder that he's still working. 
and he is one of the the great legends. I mean, the who framed Roger Rabbit, guys. Right. So, and the other not one of the other nominations is World of Tomorrow by Don Hertzfeld, who's kind of the great cult animated animation director of our time. And this film, it's a twenty minute story about time travel, and it's on so many critics' best of lists. You may have heard of Chris uh, Don Hertzfeld. If you saw that one couch gag on The Simpsons that made you question humanity? <laughs> there have been many times The Simpsons has made me question humanity, but probably not in the way you mean. <laughs> it was basically... And the Simpsons now does guest couch gag jokes where they give it to guest animators like Sylvie and Shomi and Robot Chicken and things like that. And Rick and Morty, which one's really funny. And they just let them do what they want for a couch gag. So they let Don Hertzfeld do it, and basically everyone's response to it was, what the fuck is that? (laughs) We'll link to that one because it is, it's special. I want to talk about best song for a minute. Oh my god! I know! (laughs) Where to start? Uh, The most boring Bond theme that has ever happened... We'll start there. Writings on the wall from Spectre. Like, I forgot that song was happening while it happened. I maintain that Sam Smith sings like he's singing from the bottom of a well. Um, Till It Happens to You from The Hunting Ground, music and lyrics by Lady Gaga and Diane Warren. Lady Gaga, Oscar nominee. And Golden Globe winner. And Golden Globe winner for acting. I, I don't even know what this world is. Um, simple song number three from Youth. I don't even know what that was. Manta Ray from Racing Extinction. Don't even know what that was. Okay, I'm going to stand up for that one because it's okay. sung by Anthony Hegarty. Okay. From Anthony and the Johnsons. It's haunting and beautiful. And hey, first transgender nominee in that category. Possibly Suck ever. Eddie Redmayne. Possibly actually, first actually, trans nominee ever. First no, no okay. she's not the first one ever. I can't remember. I was told about this earlier. Uh, there was a nominee before, and she was also nominated for music. Mm-hmm. This was in the seventies, but you know, it's it seldom happens. Mm-hmm. So I'm delighted that the Hegarty's nominated right. because I love her voice. <laughs> it is the perfect embodiment of haunting. Mm-hmm. I don't and... think it'll win because nobody's heard of it. Right. And earned it from Fifty Shades of Grey. Please, God, no. Please, God, no. I don't even remember which song it was. More Oscar nominees than Alan Rickman. Mm. I will say in favor of that song, I don't think it's a good song, but the video for it is far more racy and exciting than anything that actually happens in Fifty Shades of Grey. Yeah. It was also directed by Sam Taylor Johnson, and you could tell that she had no interaction with E.L. James. She was like, yes, I can do whatever the fuck I want. Yep. You know what I think is interesting, actually, two of the nom- like of the nominated songs are from documentaries. Has that ever happened before? I don't think I've ever even seen a nominated song be from a documentary, not a feature film before. Uh, yes, you have the one from The Inconvenient Truth. Uh, I'm just saying it. It's happened in your living memory. <laughs> no, fair enough. I'm trying to to remember if I even paid attention to the Oscars that year. I don't think I did, but okay, that that makes sense. But still, there's. You know, two of them here. I just think that's so interesting. Yeah. Was it a great year for music? 
Yeah. It can't have been a good one if Sam Smith's in there. Mm-hmm. But last year we had, like, Glory, which is... Yeah. A, that's the epitome of a great nomination for that song. But there was no, like, musicals or anything. And musicals don't tend to do that well in this category anymore. To be honest, I'm actually a little surprised that the uh, the Fast and the Furious, to, to see you again, is that what the song's called? In the yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, can we talk about best costume design? <gasps> yes. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Queen Sandy Powell. Queen Sandy Powell, who was nominated for Carol and Cinderella. I maintain that the costuming for Cinderella was brilliant. Oh, I think it, it will win because it's more showy than mm-hmm. Carol. And they yeah. like showy. They like showy. Carol was... I mean, it goes back to being one of the best put together movies of the year that every single item of clothing on anyone told part of the story. There was nothing extraneous. That's one of the reasons that movie is so good. There's such specificity to it. Mm -hmm. Like, even the extras that you see in the background, you can tell that Todd Haynes has gone up to all of them and given them, like, a specific direction, like... Mm -hmm you're going to visit a family member and you're worried about them or you're going shopping or you've just had an argument. It's You can notice just these tiny details and it's so beautifully done. Yeah. But I, I think that Cinderella will win here. But it's Sandy Powell. She could win for anything. I think she has won for pretty much everything. She's won three times. Yeah. She also did the costumes for Velvet Goldmine. Ugh. And interview the vampire actually, which I watched recently for the other podcast. <laughs> See, I, I actually think it's a little sad that in this category, kind of the showiest costumes win. When when you make Cinderella, you try to evoke, you know, possibly specific feelings and things like that with the costumes, but you're not constrained by specific time and place. Whereas something for Carol is less showy, but people dress very specifically. Like you can't just throw clothes on them and say, "Oh, that's vaguely like." The right, but that, right. but Cinderella, the what she did with the costumes there is, she blended mid eighteenth century with nineteen fifties, and you can see exactly where her inspiration was because it was taking historical inspiration and blending it from the time when the animated movie was made, and it, it wasn't just throwing things together. She made very specific choices in all of those. And And I think she did have a difficult job in that this was a a Disney mandate. She clearly had to stick to what was an iconic design for Disney in that way. It Mm -hmm. was clearly like, we need to be able to make dolls and dresses out of this. But you still have to evoke a kind of luxury and style. Right. And apparently they spent two days trying to find the right kind of white pants for Richard Madden so that they were, you know those white pants but not there's still a disney movie safe white <laughs> pants <laughs> no bulge no yeah just a hint of bulge couldn't see through just on a scale of zero to goblin king i had to be about two yeah i think they got at about five <laughs> i really want like an illustrated scale of this now <laughs> Just can you imagine being the person in post-production whose job it is to possibly CGI reduce the size of the bulge? Best job ever. <laughs> also, shout out that costume design is one of the, maybe the only non-gender specific category that is women-dominated. 
Mm-hmm. I think makeup is the only one that has free for free, but there are also men in there. Yeah. A shout out as well to Margaret Sixel, who's nominated for Best Film Editing for Mad Max. Mm-hmm. Her husband is George Miller, the director. And he yep. was, he's basically like, do you want to edit this film so it'll be less boyish? And she was like, okay. Yeah. Just no really problem. sweet. <laughs> no problem. I kind of want them both to win just for the, the adorable husband and wife moment because I'm really easily bought like that. <laughs> but look at all these other categories. Production design, there are women in there, but it's mostly men. Cinematography is entirely men. Sound mixing and sound editing, entirely men. Original score, men. Mm-hmm. Uh, documentary, it's mostly men. Foreign language film, only one of them is nominated by a woman. As I mentioned, only four of the ten named nominees, of 20 named nominees in screenplay are women. It's, you know, you don't, you don't need st- solid statistics to know that there is a problem here. You just have to look at the nominees. Yeah. Production design is an interesting category because the films in there did have very distinct looks. And they didn't just go for nothing but period dramas, which is usually the way it's gone here. Not to discount the amazing work that those people do, Mm -hmm. but it's a sign of the kind of preferred movies that they liked. But here we actually have some genre work. Mm -hmm. Just can't ignore Mad Max this year. Like, There's no pretending it didn't happen. Yep. I think it also helped that George Miller was willing to go out there and kind of plug the movie. And it had so much critical love behind it. Although I find it difficult to create a direct association between what the critics think and what the academy does because if the critics were the the gauge on that thing then films like under the skin from you know the previous set of years would have done well then it didn't get Mm -hmm. anything and people like tom hooper wouldn't have a career yep so if we're ready to kind of wrap up do we want to talk a little bit about our expectations of chris rock as the host Oh, his job is done for him. I just, you know, last year, I need, I need something to erase last year. Yeah. yeah. I think we got really burned by last year because it was like, it's Neil Patrick Harris. He's a safe pair of hands. And he was kind of awkwardly bad. Yeah. Did you know that he's apparently playing Count Olaf in the yes. event series? How do we feel about that? We're We're excited. They're looking for a new showrunner as well. Has anyone given them Brian Fuller's number? Oh, God. Oh, please. Does he have time? He'll make time. (laughs) I mean, in terms of this ceremony this year, I think it'll be interesting because opinion was divided the first time Chris Rock did it. I actually thought it was really funny. Uh, But that was the year that he made, like, a really harmless joke about Jude Law and Sean Penn got all indignant about it. And I was like, Jude Law is a wonderful actor and he deserves our respect. It's like, Wow, you've got a thinner skin than Kim Jong Un and Taylor Swift combined. <laughs> also, have you ever been to an awards show? It's like right. the roast to Hollywood. Well, it should be the roast of Hollywood. I think it becomes the ass kissing of Hollywood. Because oh. you know, it depends what you know kind of light touch you go for. I think Neil Patrick Harris was trying to be sharper, but ended up just being uncomfortable. Yeah. Whereas someone like Ellen DeGeneres is clearly trying to just be everyone's best friend. Mm-hmm. And that works. When it, when it works, it works. I thought that her doing it with the selfie and thing was very well calculated. Mm-hmm. I but, do um, love that picture. I, I, I think 
there, there's no way that Chris Rock will give us an easy ride. Mm-hmm. Like he he's ma- mandated not to. So, but they know what they're getting into. You would not have asked Chris Rock to do this if you didn't know what you were going to be doing. Yeah. Same thing with when you hire Ricky Gervais to the Globes, except you know Chris Rock is funny. Mm. <laughs> you know when we when we did the rundown, we kind of had our predictions for actor categories, but I don't think we ever settled on uh, an Anglophone's prediction for Best Picture. Do we want to try? I have no idea. I, I really think it's don't. actually too early to call, but I, the horrible sinking feeling in my gut says Revenant for Best Picture and Director for Inyaritu. Leo for actor, because mm-hmm. real arson for actress. Supporting actor. <sighs> I think it's going to be Sylvester Stallone. I think so, too. Oh, Christ. <laughs> like, the, the the narrative is their old favourite returning to the fold. Yeah. I wouldn't write off Mark Rylance, because Mark Rylance is the best. Yeah. <sighs> I mean, I loved... Of the performances in Spotlight, I really loved... Um, Ruffalo. I was utterly kind of fascinated by his physicality the whole time. So, maybe, but I doubt it. I, I really think it's going to be Sloan. Do we, does anybody know? Well, offhand, probably not, but do they usually split Best Picture and Best Director? Because in my recollection, I think they do. They have done, but... they ha- It's happened it's... more recently. Yeah, the last time it happened was the year Ang Lee got it for uh, Life of Pi, but that was only because Argo didn't get a nomination for director. But it happened in 2000 when Gladiator got Best Picture, but Steven Soderbergh won director. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It does happen. So it would be interesting to see that happen, but I don't give them enough credit to be that unpredictable anymore. So let's say it does split. Um, is it more likely to be Revenant for Best Picture or Nyaritu for director? <sighs> Maybe if Inyaritu, I think, would get it over the picture win. Mm-hmm. Just there's love for him, and he's seen as being a master of the tortured craft. Pretentious one, may I add. But, you know, they like that. Am I being naive? Because I kind of feel like if it's not Inyaritu, does George Miller have an outside shot? Yes. For kind of doing the big unexpected thing this year. Yes. I think his chance builds more and more as time passes, because he's gone from being... Hey, it would be great if he got nominated, but he won't. To he's definitely going to get nominated. To he's got the nomination, he might actually win it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he's also won before, albeit for Happy Feet, but he is a winner. I think I'd I'd like that. So yeah, so we'll see. I guess I wouldn't write out Spotlight either. It's done really well in other critics' awards shows. It's a very pressing matter I think it's one of the best reviewed films of the year I think it's been criticised a little bit too much for being talky as if that's a bad thing mm-hmm. but it's very academy friendly Yeah. so I think it's got to pick up something somewhere, if it doesn't pick it up in director or picture I think it'll be screenplay mm-hmm. Yeah. It's an original screenplay certainly adapted I think will I don't know actually, I would love it to be Carol yeah, I feel like adapted is is kind of the category where like they all, you know, they all did really well as adaptations, so really could go to anyone. Yeah, but hey, look on the bright side. <laughs> There's no Aaron Sorkin in the nominee pool, or Tarantino. Yeah, 
<laughs> yeah, for supporting actor and actress, I mean, I'm probably going to say Stallone because it'll be interesting to see if anyone can understand his speech. Mm. Supporting actress, I'm, I'm kind of split because it's been harder to predict that category because two of the nominees are basically category fraud. Rudy Mara is a leading Carol. Mm-hmm. Alicia Vikander is a leading the Danish girl. Yeah. Might go to Kate Winslet because they like Kate Winslet. I don't think Rachel McAdams will win for Spotlight. No. And I don't I, I don't think Jennifer Jason Lee will get it for Hatefully, as good as she is in that movie, because there's no other kind of love for the movie. Like, this isn't a Christoph Waltz situation, for instance. Yeah. But I can't say there's, like, any... Other than Redmayne, obviously, I couldn't say there's a nom- any acting nominee this year where I'm like, if you win, I'll throw my computer out the window. Mm-hmm. It's just dull this year. I'm always stunned by the Academy's ability to take rich, vibrant, interesting, inclusive 12 months of film and filmmaking and distill it into the greyest version possible. And I'm sad that we keep having the same conversation every year, and I'm sad that every awards predicator keeps buying into the same narrative year after year, which is, this film is an Oscar favourite because we've said it is. Because mm-hmm. nobody said that Mad Max was an Oscar favourite when that was in previews, and how much more interesting is the conversation with it part of it? Mm-hmm. So, I guess we'll see on February 28th. Yep. Okay, so this has been episode 40. Yes. We will be back next month with another topic. And we promise it'll be the one that we planned now. Alina, we're sorry. (laughs) So, happy movie watching, everybody. Go see Carol. Go see Carol. Bye. You have been listening to Anglophies, a Made of Fail production. Sorry, my mom's bringing me dinner. Hi, Mom! Hi, Hi, Mom! They're saying hi. Hi. She says hi back. (laughs)